<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake sand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before you. Yes. That's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. So we're just going to open our fortune cookie, and it is a badly drawn penis, hedgehog, and box. I like that we have a high concept fortune cookie. You should go listen to that song and play Frogger. There's your fortune cookie. There it is. Like, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, no, that's it, that's it, that's it. And I was like, connecting the, yeah. Welcome to our podcast and agreement, aka Podcast Town. I guess. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm Michelle. I'm Catherine. And what do we do on on podcast? I don't know. Michelle? What do we do? <laughs> we bring you some things. How many of them? Um, three things, six Each. things, if depending on how you're counting. Yes, and those things are a weird thing, a pop culture thing. And a research thing. And then we mix them together and see what comes out. What comes out is podcast town. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a weird one, folks. <laughs> it's a weird one. It's our last one um, for a while. Till for the, the new year. The year. We're doing, yeah. We're doing a little Christmas holiday break for ourselves and for you. Some, some might call it a mental health break. A little health break break to prevent a little menti bee that may or may not already be happening on both of our ends <laughs> but we're laughing through it um so yeah welcome to agreement it's our podcast and let's just dig right into it let's this do is it episode 55 55 and i go first so We're going to try some share screen. I think I'll just... Can you hear anything right now? No, no. I can't hear anything. Keep your, keep your eyes closed. My eyes are closed. My eyes are closed. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. We're getting there. We're getting there. We'll get there someday. Okay. Fire burning, jingling 
bells Sugar plum fairies turning But I don't see any presents for me Does Santa Claus know who I am? Does Santa Claus even care about me? Cause I'm just a Christmas dirtbag baby Um, that is, I'm going to keep screen sharing because I have one more song to play. Boy, that was a ride. Do I have Um, to keep my eyes closed? No, no, you can't. Okay. 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 So yeah, Weedus, Teenage Dirtbag fame, Weedus put out a Christmas album and the single from it is Christmas Dirtbag. And that just (laughs) delighted me. (laughs) But it was also very weird and disconcerting. So that is Weedus singing. And this just brings me to... Um, one of my favorite Christmas traditions for the past maybe four years now is that my spouse does an advent calendar, 25 days of different Christmas music every day of December and works really hard on it. He used to be, uh, like the head DJ at his college radio station. So he's very good at coming up and finding music. And usually it's like new music that's out. And, um, so when that played on I think day four December 4th I just my jaw dropped I fell on the ground and said I can't believe this is happening it's so great I think it is very weird that Weedus has done a Christmas single retelling redoing of their song Teenage Dirtbag which is a song I love and I've always loved it's one of my daughter's favorite songs so she like that's why I recognize it so quickly because she listens to it all the time aww um so I'm going to just say some of the highlights of weird from the advent probably the weirdest christmas album i ever heard fred schneider from the b52s put out a holiday album this year not with the rest of the b52s which really leads me to believe that a lot they of were the, like no <laughs> yeah a lot of the the power and the goodness of the b52s did not come just from fred schneider he was not an auteur let us say and um, I won't play any of that, but I do encourage you to listen to it. It's on Spotify. It's on most places where you can stream music. And it just sounds like someone gave him like 20 quaaludes and said, think about Christmas, Fred. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just repeats things over and over. It's a fruitcake. It's a fruitcake. What you baking? Fruitcake. Cherries, red dye number two. Green cherries, green ones too. It's fruitcake. It's fruitcake. Pecans or walnuts. Citrus peel. Lots of stuff. Paper, it's fruitcake. Um, it just loses energy. It's it rambles. And sometimes it is hard to listen to, but what it is certainly it? a fruitcake. Christmas album by Fred Snyder on Quaaludes. Um, but the weirdest one's great. The album that I think is genuinely an excellent album, by name Matt Rogers. It's called Have You Heard of Christmas? This little known holiday. Basically, Matt Rogers is best known. He's an actor and a comedian. He's probably best known for the podcast Lost Culturistas, which he does with Bo and Yang. But the Christmas album is great and i love it and the reason i love it 
is he is actually he should write a Broadway musical. He's a great lyricist. He's a very talented singer. And most of these songs, they do have a bit of like a Broadway vibe to them, but they sound like Christmas songs. And if you put this album on, I guarantee you, if you put this album on in the background at any holiday family work event, I think 90% of the people will just not pay attention to it. It could blend into the background and and that's great. And it's pretty fine music. And that's what happened. It got played in my house. And then all of a sudden, about three songs in, I started to notice the lyrics. And I was like, wait, what's happening? And so all the lyrics are um, funny to filthy, but the music is just so stereotypical Christmas music. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you the start of one of the songs so you can kind of get a feel for what it does musically. And then I'm going to tell you where that song goes lyrically. Um, and I also feel like it's a good song right now. It's called I'm a Have Your Back This Christmas. And I know that you've, you've, you've been going through, you've been pretty stressed. And so I also want to send you this message, Michelle, of Christmas cheer that I have your back this Christmas, friend. So let's see if it'll play. And I'm only going to play it a little so you can get a sense of the, of what it sounds like. You know, this Christmas, I might need some help. Listen, hey girl, what's the matter? Seems like you don't have that shine. It's like every year when Christmas comes around, you always lose your mind. Is it your job or your man or your occupation that's getting you down? girls you can tell us now well first let me say okay oh, I'm a so you get the sense and then the chorus is i'ma have your back this christmas i'ma have your back this christmas goes goes for half the song pretty normally about like i got you and if christmas is hard or you feel sad or anything makes you feel down i have your back but i just want to read you the lyrics of it towards the end girl I see your perspective, but if I don't like one thing that my uncle says, I'm going to burn his house down and you will have my back. Girl, no, we will not lie to the police. I'm your friend, but I won't go to jail for you. But girl, and by girl, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a way to get away with arson. And here's what you got to do. First, you got to wait till they're on vacation. Then you sneak inside the house. You buy a pickle jar and some newspaper laying around. Then you got to fill the pickle jar with water, surround it with the newspaper. You put it in a sunny room and say, bitch, see you later. I'm have your back this Christmas. I'll be by your side. I'm have your back this Christmas and for all your life. I will not go to prison for you, but I can help you do your thing and burn down a house. Oh, girl, we are men. We are men. We are men. We are men. I'm a have your back. We are radicalized. <laughs> so <laughs> I do really like the we are men. A running another running joke through that song is he's Matt Rogers is a gay man and he's like, um, girl, and when you call me girl, I know you mean man. I, I'm a man, okay? I'm really a man. And so when he gets to the end, he's like, We are men, we are men. <laughs> As many through lines. And yet you can hear from the start of that song, it sounds like a pretty basic Christmas song that you could maybe just not listen to the lyrics of. But it has an actually good uh, 
recipe for arson. I looked it up. I was like, is that a good way to set a house on fire? <laughs> that you fill a pickle jar with water and put it oh, in Oh, you're on a list. It's like, yeah, actually, <laughs> that's a way to get a fire going where it's very hard to tell if it was on purpose or not. So thanks, Matt Rogers. Um, and thank you, Michelle, for having my back full. I uh, went through that tech issue, which hopefully I've edited out beautifully. Not going to prison for you. But I will help you burn down a house. <laughs> so yeah, um, my weird thing is just that that's some weird, weird Christmas music. Yeah, is the Matt Rogers "Have You Heard of Christmas" and the Weedus Christmas Dirt Bag. Nice. I will have to listen to the <laughs> fruit cake everywhere. Fruit cake. As it loses fruit energy. Fruit cake. Fruit cake. Yeah. Well, my weird thing, actually my weird thing and my pop culture thing, I just kept flipping places for them. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just put one in one place and one in the other and go. So um, <laughs> so my weird thing is, have you read a graphic novel on Libby? No. Can you do that? Well, I guess maybe it's on Kindle. Like I, like I downloaded it from Libby and I guess it probably opened it in Kindle. Um but I am trying to le- read the tournament of books list as much as many of them as I can. I, I don't think I have ever gotten over four. So I'm trying to get at least five this year and I have done two and a half so far. So I'm, I feel like I'm on good track, but I did read boys weekend by Maddie Lubchansky. Um, and I did not know Ooh. it was a graphic novel. So I didn't know that there was a graphic novel on there either. I will, I will read the plot to you from Goodreads. From the award-winning cartoonist and editor at The Nib, a hilarious trans final girl horror graphic novel about a bachelor party gone very, very wrong. Newly out trans artist assistant Sammy is invited to an old friend's bachelor weekend in El Campo, a he- hedonistic wonderland of a city floating in the Atlantic Ocean's international waters. Think Las Vegas with even fewer rules. Though they have not identified as a man for over a year, Sammy's college buddies haven't quite gotten the message as evidenced by their formerly closeted friend Adam asking them to be his best man. Sorry, formerly closest friend Adam asking him to be his best man. Arriving at the swanky hotel, Sammy immediately questions their decision to come. Bad enough that they have to suffer through a torrent of passive-aggressive comments from the groom's pals, all met with zero pushback from supposed nice guy Adam, but also they seem to be the only one who's noticed the mysterious cult that's also staying at the hotel and is ritually dismembering guests and demanding fealty to their bloodthirsty god. Part satire, part horror, Boys Weekend explores what it's like to exist as a trans femme person in a man's world, the difficulty of maintaining friendships through transition, and the more cult-like effects of masculinity, hustle culture, and capitalism, all through the vibrant lens of a surreal, scary, and immensely imaginative romp. Okay, so there's the description. I did not know it was a graphic novel, um, and I struggle to read graphic novels because I consume them too quickly. Like, I just am like, words, 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 and I just flip, and I did consume this very quickly as well. I think I read the whole thing in, like, two days, but I read it on my phone having downloaded it through Libby and opening it on Kindle and the graphic novel feature has like this zoom in thing that zooms in on each panel. And if it's like a big panel that takes up the whole page, it zooms in on the sections where the text is. So it forced me to slow down and pay more attention to individual panels and their organization than I ever have while reading a graphic novel before. So I think my weird thing was just that experience of like, 
you know, the reading being enhanced by that technology in a way that I have not experienced before. And I was really excited about it. Um, and I, I think that, that really improved my graphic novel reading experience and skills. I love that. I love, I'm, I'm, it's just really like a golden age for consuming text in all forms. And it's so interesting and cool to see like, to learn and it oftentimes right it's really, really individual too but to see what works best for you and me and like, there are books that I know I need to read on paper there are books I can read on kindle there are books that I would prefer to listen to yes there are books that are made much better by listening to and much worse and but I never thought about graphic novels that's so great yeah and I Honestly, if I had known it was a graphic novel, I don't know that I would have read it because I have such a hard time reading graphic novels, which is a shame because there's some really good graphic novels that have been coming out lately. Like there's such a wide range of topics and genres and depth, um, but I just struggle with them so much because like visuals are just not my medium. But I really liked like I, I felt like it was a accessibility aid for me to make me like slow down and be like look at this picture with this set of words so they're just scam scam yeah I love that I saw an ad the other day for a kind of text highlighting that like is supposedly better for <laughs> I watched I I think like it's it's so great that um like diagnoses of various like neurodivergent issues are so much like they're still not easy to get like getting tested for things can be very prohibitively expensive and weightless and stuff and I'm really happy that like that is becoming there's more awareness about that but I watched a YouTuber the other day who has ADHD do an ADHD subscription box unboxing and everything in the box was like a pin that said sick day babysitter and it was a picture of bob barker and it had a slap bracelet and it was clearly just a 90s early aughts nostalgia box that someone had been like slap adhd on it <laughs> and even like the youtuber was like i thought i would get like an exercise book some work worksheets it was so i think there are limits like well of course anything that can be marketed capital is, can yeah. market to you will be that does that's not harmful for the thing itself well it is but you know what I mean that was a way over description that me kind of rolling my eyes at this was an ad I got on my phone because all I get on my phone now are ads for various ADHD things but this was so fascinating to me that it was for like here's a new way of um depicting text and I have students in my classes often who are dyslexic and I know there's different fonts you can use when you're giving them materials and preparing materials for them and so I've seen those and those are like very hard for me to read because I am not dyslexic, but the ADHD, have you seen this where they're like, this helps people with ADHD read faster? Oh, is it like where it centers the things we're like, it's like some, so it highlights different letters in a way I could barely even see what it was doing, but I looked at it and was like, I have never consumed text so fast and it was so helpful. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, and then I had my spouse look at it and he's like, I've never consumed text so, so slow. <laughs> and so say what you will about what that means. But I just think it's really cool that we're in an age with technology where we are like 
saying, hey, people, oh my gosh, did you know? Have you heard? Have you heard that people consume media differently and people have different brains? Oh my gosh, maybe we can help with that. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't have a lot to do with that, but I just think, it's just like, whoa. And you know what? It's better to read, period. So if, I mean, I read so many more books in a year when I'm, when I'm including eBooks because I don't, have a book with me all the time and I don't have the capability to have a book with me all the time but I do have my phone with me like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna open up a paperback book that I'm carrying around from the library to read for five minutes when I'm standing in line waiting for something but I will scroll on my phone instead of Facebook and those five minutes add up and then I get a book finished and yeah it can't be the one that is like the most deep that I want to take notes on the margins and research but I don't need to read all of those books all of the time. Like, yeah, I'm absolutely in favor absolutely. of all the mediums. You should consume it in all the ways that work. So yeah. Yeah. Yay. That's, Different that's ways of consuming. I'm excited. I will then not be, I, I'm also appreciative because I'm trying to power through all of the um, tournament of book shortlist. And I think if I had seen that that was a graphic novel, I would have been like, oh, I have to get it on paper but now you have to let me know if you got the if you get the zoom experience and how how it goes for you i'm gonna be obnoxious and throw in one more bonus weird thing just because we're gonna go on break for a while and i don't know if how long this will be if this will still be in theaters but i did get to see dicks the musical in theaters and um i think that is a movie that is highly highly done justice by seeing in the theater because it is um have you seen it no it is uh it's on your it's on your uh it is movie league list right yeah on my vulture movie league um i loved it i loved it it is so i don't even have the words for it it is um Okay, when I went to the bathroom after the movie, all these Australian women were in the bathroom just cackling, going, that was mad. That was mad. <laughs> all of it, I liked it. I liked Somebody it. Oh, liked yeah. It. Yeah. But it was mad. Um, and it it is highly inappropriate. Well, we've already basically done some pop culture. Yeah, let's do some more. Changeable. pop culture so um my christmas songs should have been pop culture i still haven't done the pop culture i did research for and have been teasing but i, I don't I, believe that uh, exists i believe you're just telling us <laughs> you'll never get it i um i haven't really prepared much to say about this but i just have got to talk about it um uncogently so here in brisbane there's um a big museum called Quag Goma, which is two museums that are kind of linked together, which is the Queensland Art Gallery and the Gallery of Modern Art. And it's an excellent museum. It's really great. And I love it. And right now they're having kind of a huge blockbuster show called Fairy Tale. They also have, which they don't usually do, um, costumes for movies. But part of that is because they got in one of their curators um, dedicated their curatorial work to a film series that runs alongside the entire length of the show because if it's called fairy tale 
that's really rich for like showing movies and films that can play into fairy tale. And it's just, it's all free. And it's just an amazing series of movies. All of these movies that have been on my list of movies I should see like forever and I haven't seen. And so there's things like The Red Shoes, which I've never seen. And now I get to see it for the first time in theaters. Um, my One of my top three favorite movies of all time, Night of the Hunter, they're showing, which I think is very smart um, for fairy tale. But I am not here to talk about any of that. I am here to talk about the fact that I went over the weekend to see the movie The Fall. Okay. And it was such an experience and it's hard to convey an emotional experience over a podcast but I walked into the museum I've been missing my friends and family a lot my niece is just so into like fairy tale princess stuff and the show would just blow her mind they have a special pop-up fairy tale tea garden restaurant and I just was like oh I would love to take her to this it would be the best experience so I was already a little let's say pumped and primed for emotion when I walked into this film. And then the main character of it is a little girl who is, it looked a lot like my niece. So take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt, because I was already, you know, ready to go. in a rough spot. Yes. But I am here to talk to you today, not just about this film, but about the director of this film, whose name is Tarsem Singh, and that's T-A-R-S-E-M-S-I-N-G-H. He is an Indian director, and he is, I am so against the myth of the single artist, right? Nothing is made in a vacuum. No one makes anything alone, but, and I don't like the myth of the auteur where like, oh, this singular thing. But there are, I think, people still who have a very singular vision, who are just, we talk about when we love seeing someone who's just good at something, not because they have like a God-given talent, but they're good at something, they have an interest in it, they've worked hard at it, and they're just, that's what they're meant to do, and they're doing it. And Tarsem Singh is one of those people. I do love that sometimes directors will have very close collaborations with certain people that they work with throughout their career their cinematographer, editor, what have you. But for Tarsem Singh, it's his costume designer and it shows in his movies. And his costume designer died um, after his most recent movie and he just hasn't made a movie ever since. And I think you can really tell. And if you see any of his films, like the costumes are such a huge part of it. And so this show has some of the costumes from it. So I was really excited to get to go see this. All this to say... Tarsem Singh is just one of my favorite directors and he has such a singular vision. You can just tell if it's something made by him. He knows what he likes and it just, he has a look. And so I think he's very underrated. And I came to Tarsem Singh in high school when I was dating a cool film boy who made me watch a movie called The Cell. Have you seen The Cell? No. If you're going to watch Tarsem, if you're going to get into Tarsem Singh, I highly recommend you start with The Cell. And The Cell is a movie um, starring Jennifer Lopez. It might have been one of her first feature films. It's also the first feature film Tarsem Singh ever made. And you could not tell because it is masterfully made. And it's kind of a wild premise. Basically, 
It's uh, Jennifer Lopez plays a psychiatrist, psychologist in the alternative future, not too distant future, in which she can do therapy via special technology where she goes into the mind of her patient. And um, there is a serial killer on the loose who is murdering young women. And in order to catch him and fight, they catch him but he still has one victim left and they have to find her. And so in order to figure out where this victim is, Jennifer Lopez, usually she helps, she's like a child psychologist, but she volunteers to go into his mind. And so the whole movie is like her tracking him and his traumas through his mind, but the visuals of it are amazing. And Tarsum Singh is so good at recreating artworks, like contemporary artworks in vignettes. And so The Cell is just a wackadoo sci-fi movie. I can't say it's a good movie, but it's one of my favorite movies. Um, and so that got me into Tarsum Singh. So when I saw that The Fall, which is like the only movie of his I haven't seen, was playing at Paragoma, I'm there. So excited. And I am emotionally pumped and primed already. And it starts off with uh, this character that reminds me of my niece. It has one of the best openings of any film I've ever seen. And it's just one of the best films I've ever seen. And apparently it was, it took like, it was filmed in 20 countries over like 12 years. It took forever. There's no green screen or CGI effects. It was all filmed on location all across the world. And it's just the most gorgeous film I have ever seen in my life. And I would say maybe a third of the way into the movie, I needed to start crying. And I'm in this kind of somewhat quiet museum theater. And I'm like, don't cry. I can't cry. And it just built up more and more and more. The movie just got more and more emotional. And we have this thing, I think I've mentioned it here before in my family called Dumboing, where I just sob uncontrollably very loudly. Well, now my husband's like, we should call that falling. The fall. <laughs> Catherine no. is falling. And so, so... You know, it's like laughing in church, that whole thing where you're trying not to cry makes the emotion so much. So I'm just there grudging my teeth, hurting my jaw, clenching my jaw, saying, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And the movie just keeps going and going and it just keeps getting more and more emotional. And so I I finally go, well, you're going to cry. Don't sob audibly. Please don't sob audibly. And so tears are just streaming down my face Aww. and i'm just like don't breathe don't breathe and um and then we get out of the theater and i'm holding it together we get outside and i just start sobbing <laughs> so hard and i will say in that exact moment it started raining like crazy and it was just very cinematic outside as well but i start sobbing the rain starts pouring down but that aside it is a movie. I don't know how anyone would be able to see it in the theater these days, but it is so cinematic. And it's a movie about making movies in a really nice way. I can't recommend it highly enough. Even if you can't see it in the theater, you should definitely go and see The Fall. But I will say it was made in 2006 and it brought up to me like a lot of interesting questions about kind of appropriation and cultural appropriation and postmodernism. Because right, postmodernism is this concept, very oversimply stated, 
where you can have all these reference with their like the reference and the context to what they're referring to as cut, right? So like think of Las Vegas is the best example that we're not really talking about Paris. We're not really talking about Egypt with the pyramid, the Luxor pyramid. They just are visuals that look cool and we're not tying them into their historical cultural context. I think this movie gets away with a lot because it's talking about it is about like a fairy tale and a story that's being told. But there were, and I would just like to have a conversation with anyone that sees it because Tarsim Singh, he just, he appropriates from every single culture basically in the world for what looks cool about that. But there are parts of the movie when I wasn't trying to sob that I got kind of uncomfortable. I'm like, is this okay? Can we do this now? And it just made me think of like, but like it made me think more of postmodernism. Mm-hmm. And is the post and postmodernism the same in like post-colonialism? Because I think it matters that he is um an Indian filmmaker, which is super like colonial history, but still like kind of non-Western. And I don't know. I want someone else to watch this movie because it looked so cool. But there were definitely moments, especially watching it. If you watch it, there's scenes. Um, there's a character who's referred to as a mystic, but I think there's a lot of um, Aboriginal imagery with that person sitting and watching it, especially in Australia, made me feel uncomfortable. So I just want to say I love this movie, but it did bring up questions about what are the limits and bounds, especially within the past. This is 17 years old now well, of what we know and do better. And I think postmodernism is dead. I mean, have you, like, you said 2006, isn't that the year, maybe, maybe the year after, like, Crash came out? Do you remember that movie? And people were like, oh my gosh, what an amazing commentary on race relations. And, like, I didn't think it was an amazing commentary on race relations then, but I... I don't think I rewatched it. I think I saw like a clip from it or something within the last five years. And I was just like, wow, we, so I don't know, I guess put, put into that context. I feel like people who are younger and who maybe did not hit those early aughts, you know, 20 years ago, how bad we were at handling like any kind of, cultural commentary anything that involved like race or cross-cultural relations um like i i think i, ta- I think i might have talked about on here having watched uh, easy a with my students yes like yeah and like the act the parts that were about like the the commentary on the scarlet letter that were about like sexualization or whatever those were handled in a you know teen movie edgy way but they they just had like she had a a black adopted little brother that clearly like they had put in there so that they could have a black character and, and but like all of the jokes about it were just so tone deaf and strange and racist and like but you could tell it was trying to be like culturally competent and it failed completely i don't know there's just the early aughts were not a um we're not a good time for understanding and doing well no. with cultural competencies. So, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, this is a movie from 2006. I think I think what is happening here is that Tarsim Singh is using things he thinks 
looks look cool and, yeah. and without without actually referring to their cultural context and in that that's the injustice then is saying that these things just look cool and there's no tie to it but i think it's also where maybe the movie can hold up because they're not trying to say oh we're, we're having representation we're doing a social we're doing anything socially justice with this it's just it looks cool it all looks cool. It's like if you took Even a collage like- out of a bunch of magazines and yeah, and it is together. really postmodern. Yeah. It's like how Las Vegas looks like Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, I exactly, and brought us back to like when Stefani, Bindi time. Yeah. And owned all those. Oh my God! I'm, it's all coming back to me how bad we were about things. The Love Angel music baby, and she's just like, here, I have a, I have a group of Japanese women that I. What was her relationship with them? We don't know. We didn't care. <sighs> anyway, um, so this is just to say I am recommending The Fall with a grain of salt, but would like to hear people's opinions on it. And then I went down a deep rabbit hole with him and he's done a ton of music videos. But interestingly enough, his first music video was En Vogue's very first music video. And if you go back and watch that, it's such an interesting looking video. It's of its time, but it looks interesting. Um, Probably his most famous music video is he did R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion, which I highly recommend. Go back and watch that because I hadn't in a while and it's great. And it's so much of what he does. But most recently in 2020, have you seen Lady Gaga's music video for 911? No. Okay, you have that as soon as we're done. Go watch it. And then I think you'll immediately want to watch it again. Because that, I think if you don't want to go watch The Fall, if you don't want to go watch The Cell, but you do want to taste for everything I think Tarsim Singh does well, and for his, you know, cross-cultural appropriation, Lady Gaga's music video 911 is, oh, I love it. Um. I've heard people say, oh, it should come with a trigger warning for the end. It's, it's, I, I don't think so. It is kind of a, there's, no, I think it's fine, but maybe just don't watch it. I don't know. It's fine. Now I'm curious. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I just ranted and raved because I told you, I didn't know what I wanted to say about it. Basically my pop culture is I had really big feelings in a the theater about Tarsum Singh's movie, The Fall which I highly recommend. And um, Lee Pace, the actor, is is so hot right now. Everyone's like, oh, he's very hot. And we didn't know he was hot. But he's in this movie. It's, this is like one of his first movies too. And he's really great in it. And um, I'm going to shut up now because I could keep going and going and going. But yeah, Tarsum Singh the fall. Well, I similar, similarly am not exactly sure what I want to say about my pop culture. Um, but here we go. So <laughs> here we go. So I watched, and I remember the title because I had have been struggling to because it just sounds so generic that I keep like making up other words for it. But leave the world behind. It's the new Netflix apocalyptic. Have, have you seen this? Did also with it? Julia Roberts. Yes, also with I Julia Roberts. I haven't seen it. Okay, I haven't seen it, but I heard someone describe it yesterday as I watched the movie where Julia Roberts doesn't want her to share her vacation home, so the world ends. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so it 
I might spoil bits of it here. I don't think that matters. I mean, I guess easy for me to say I'm fine since with I've already it. seen it. But we'll like, say spoilers. Okay. I'm the spoilers. only one who doesn't get to fast forward. Yeah. I'm cool. It's um it's not a good movie. I it's it's not good. I liked it more. I watched it with my my spouse. Um he did not like it at all. He's been making fun of it mercilessly, which has been entertaining in its own right. <laughs> uh so I'm glad I watched it just for that. Um but I I think I found it a little more entertaining because I, like it made me think about things, which is really what my pop culture is going to be is the things that made me think about that it maybe didn't actually tackle very well, but it just like brought them up in ways that I got to then, you know, play with. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you just brought me ideas. I can, I can handle that. Um, it was anything that does that is not a waste of time. Right. Right. No, I have certainly wasted my time on movies more than I did on this one. Uh, it 100% does not need to be two and a half hours long. It needs to be an hour and 43 minutes long. Uh, that needed an editor and the, they keep doing these artsy shots where they're like from far away and they swing the camera around in a circle. And, um, I'm like, um, yeah, no, thank you. It was, you are it, not a 24 guys. No. Yeah, no, it really felt like, you know, like, a film student in their first year who has just learned about cinematography as a concept. And once like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay where is the editor like where where is somebody to rein you in it was it was much um and the music is over the top like I don't it, it was there were, the subtlety was lacking like it needed way more subtlety but the acting was really good um Ahersla Ali is in it and um Kevin Bacon is in it and like I mean it, the acting was good um it was it was interesting. So the premise is that this white family, it has it's a two teen kids and Julia Roberts and what's her, who's the guy? Is it Ethan Hawke plays her husband? Um, so they go and they rent this gorgeous, amazing like island beach house. And then the owners or the people who say they're the owners is Mahershala Ali and his young adult daughter that show up and are like, hey, there's a power outage in the city. So we just decided to come here. And like, that's really suspect. Right. So Julia Roberts is kind of racist and is implying like, well, we don't think this is actually your house. And like there's there's a lot of jumping through hoops to make it where they can't verify because he doesn't have his wallet with them and it's all very you know like so you for a while you're supposed to suspect like is somebody is he up to something but it turns out as you probably know if you've heard anything about this movie is that like they're actually fleeing there because something terrible is happening it sounds like the, the movie doesn't make it clear but probably like some kind of international war situation or like and now everything has fallen apart so they're just kind of trying to hide out um, but the thing that I want to talk about, the thing that is my pop culture thing, is the trope that Kevin Bacon's character represents in this film. So early in the movie, when Julie Roberts is first coming to town, she sees a man who's like packing up all kinds of supplies and wa- bottled water and canned goods into his truck and looking kind of coldly at everybody and then drives off. And so once everything starts falling apart, she's like, this man knew what was going on. We need to go to him. And he's like, that man is that man that's his weekend supply like he's stocking up his he's a prepper right like he does that every week like he didn't know what was going on but at some point they need medicine so they end up at at, uh kevin bacon's house and you can tell that kevin bacon is just very excited that like 
it has finally happened and all of his prepping is for something right and he won't let them in like he won't share his medicine with them and he's like the time has passed for cooperation and you know now we all just take care of our own um and that's a trope like that's a trope that shows up not just in pop culture but that spills over into people who are preparing for the end of the world in real life who think that somehow being able to hole up in their home with a bunch of canned goods is going to save the world. And um very uh ant and the grasshopper, as right. we have talked about before. Right. And I had just watched that movie while I was also reading the cold or no, not the cold people, cold people, which is on the tournament of book shortlist, which is currently my favorite of the two and a half I've read. Um and I really, really liked it. And I'm going to have some light spoilers for that. I won't give away any of the major plot points, but like it does unfold pretty slowly. So I have to get into some of it just to be able to tell you what I'm thinking here. So the plot of Cold People is, and this happens very early, so this is not much of a spoiler at all, is that suddenly a bunch of spaceships appear in the sky and all of the devices on Earth start broadcasting that humans have 30 days to get to Antarctica. And there is no clear information about what will happen if they don't, but it's becomes pretty obvious to most people that they have been given like, uh, I mean, it's not even a metaphor for like colonization and putting them on a reservation like it literally is like shipping all humans off to the reservation of Antarctica and these aliens are taking over the rest of Earth. And um, so very timely. Yeah. Part of the book is just the chaos that ensues in people trying to get to Antarctica in 30 days. Um, and like a lot of people don't make it like most people don't ever make it there. Um, and then they flip, they move forward in time. And some of the people who did make it there who have colonized Antarctica and are living there. But like the number the, the numbers are dwindling. Right. Like people are not people are not thriving. They're on an extinction path because they're not built for Antarctica. And I won't, this is, this is, um, I would love to do a class that reads this book next to Galapagos because it ends up like being about um, like genetic modification and evolution. It's, it's, it's really interesting. You should definitely add it. If you don't get to all the tournament of books, get to this one. Oh um, yeah. But the thing that made me think about it in connection with leave the world behind is that it becomes very clear to everybody in Antarctica that every single life is incredibly important because they need each other. And um, and because it's Antarctica where like it's dark for three months at a time and it's really depressing and people can't leave, like there's like the suicide rates are really high. So like they have all these hand painted signs about how important each individual is to the community near the cliffs that people tend to go to to commit Uh suicide because they're like, we really need you. Like humanity needs you. Please don't do this. Like you're so important. Um, And it just made me think about like what, if I knew that the world as I knew it was falling apart. Like I wasn't going to be able to depend on money or electricity or the internet or work or like, what would be the first thing that I would try to gather? And it would be people. Like I, it would be like, okay, where do I get a group of people? And where are we going to go to try to be safe together while we figure out what to do next? Because I don't, I'm not like, we're not going to make it on our own. And if I did, if I somehow was alone in a bunker with some canned goods for what, like to what end. And so I just, I, that trope is just 
fascinating and frustrating to me. And I, the one thing I did like about this movie is I think that it was a bit on the nose with how it did it, but it kind of challenged that trope more directly than I think a lot of apocalyptic films I've seen have. have. I have so many thoughts. Also, I'm thinking of my main thought is sad, which is like, yes, gathering people and how important that is and what matters in life and me being like far away now. And I'm like, oh, I just keep thinking of like banal things about like my people and like even just how much I, when someone like just wish I could be there to help people in ways that you just can't even distance. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just feeling very emotional about being away from physically away, right? Because in this day and age, even even if technology, right, in your situation where the internet doesn't work, money doesn't matter. But even when it does, I'm like, there is so much I did not think through that like physical proximity that just can't be replicated. I'm also thinking about though, my mind went, this is why I went blank and my eyes got big is half my mind went that direction. The other half of my mind went to Mr. Beast's newest video, which in which he makes the like special fit bunker and he has two strangers stay in this bunker for a hundred days. Um, and they just have canned food. And it is basically like, what would a prepper end of the world bunker be, right? There's not really an entertainment. It's just each other. Um, and I'm like, what, what zeitgeist is that tapping into? Because it's such a weird video yeah and i don't know i mean i i guess if that's the only way i get to make it i just don't want to make it i like i don't there's need... something about yeah yeah community and i have a reoccurring stress stream where i'm at a house party and every and there's like a vampire there and that vampire starts turning everyone into vampires and it's like i don't want to be a vampire no one wants to be a vampire but at some point i'm like Oh, please just make me a vampire because I don't want to be alone in this. Right. And, I don't want to be the only one trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'd rather be dead with all my friends than alive without them. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a long talk the other day with my spouse about like, he said, I don't want to get old, but I don't want eternity either. That's what he said. And I said, but what if you didn't have to age and you had eternity with me and we would always be together and um, and we would just stay the way we are right now. And and he's like, well, what about all our friends and family? I said, oh, they would die. You would have to watch all of them die. And he's like, you're just explaining vampires, Catherine. Are you asking me if you want to be a vampire? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then you'd be a vampire we proceeded. We proceeded have a long talk about, but if you're a vampire, you can turn other people into vampires. And so we could give all our friends and family the option of being vampires. So now, you're not and only are you talking about vampires, you're talking about a vampire cult. A vampire cult. <laughs> a vampire family. A vampire co collective, mm -hmm. I prefer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm sure you do, cult leader. And then we, <laughs> then we went down the list of everyone we know and, and decided if they would say yes or no to being a vampire. <laughs> We we're like, oh, my brother, this definitely. My brother, this never. never. This person, sure. Um, we could not determine what you would say. We I can't determine what I would say. I think I. Would, I said. I... I said you would say yes, but it depends on the rest of your family. Right. It was like, right. 
Yeah. But then you have the responsibility of like children and do you make your children vamp? It's uh, yeah. You have a lot of strings. And I mean, like, I mean, children who are perpetually children, like that just seems like a particularly cruel thing to do to somebody. Like I have a 13 year old. You can make somebody 13 forever. That is. Right. But then like at what age are you like, okay, now you've had enough life and you stay like this forever. 29. Okay. So we're going to turn you into a vampire now, your spouse into a vampire now. We'll, we'll wait for um, your 29 for each 29. child. Well, let's let's keep them the same distance apart. Oh, okay. So maybe okay. one can be 30 something. <laughs> um, sure. Okay, good. Good. Vampire Collective is growing. <laughs> I don't want eternity. I mean, I like, I don't know. I watched. I, I watched the good place. Me? It would just be. It would. Get, it would become numbness. You know, like. What is? You, yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I just I I have this horrible feeling if I want more time and I want things to stay. Um, but what does more time mean if there's no into it? There's no more time if it's all time. Well, the world keeps on moving. See, now this is also, I am currently working on a book project that says we're all ghosts. Mm. We're all already ghosts and we don't believe that there is an end anyway. And so that's kind of explaining some of how people are acting right now, especially in the face of like climate catastrophe and stuff. That like the world's been on fire for so long and it's been burning that we don't think. It's the, if you, if you constantly tell somebody they're in a crisis, they're like no longer. Right respond to like i mean it's the it's the fire drill thing right like if you do a fire drill every week when the fire comes people are like whatever i don't care yeah we're all boy who cried wolf with yeah Yeah. with um mortality which we're gonna we're gonna play a climate change based game when we have game night i'm excited oh i'm excited for that um Wow, what a what a light and fun conversation! But I do want all our listeners to think: Would you join? Would you join our vampire collective? <laughs> now, now you don't have to come and live with us, right? We're not going to be like an incestuous vampire hive. I've you seen ex- true blood; that doesn't go well. You can go wherever you want. You can live however you want. You just will live forever. As you make with- this decision, know that right now the only guarantee is Catherine and her spouse. I am still on the fence. Okay, I feel like we could bring in a lot of people with you. <laughs> I feel like you're a really big get. <laughs> Keep us updated. <laughs> okay, oh, cool, no. cool. Pop culture done. I don't know where we are. Did we both do? Pop we both did pop culture. <laughs> this is a very flowy one. It like is just it is fluid. We're just yeah. moving along. doing our thing um this was this was a week i just needed to talk to my friends yeah so i'm appreciating that. my research thing's <laughs> gonna be really short so but excellent we've been going for quite a while so that is fine um okay my research thing is also fairly short but um you it is it you know it didn't hit the highest highs of my snowman trilogy but this is a trilogy welcome to my train wreck trilogy train wreck trilogy um, i was like I was like yes. the Panera half and half. Like no, I, that was that was 
it's a while back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Panera, though, cannot get over the lemonade that kills you and all the memes coming out of that. Great memes, wonderful memes. Um, I'm going to show you this and see if you can read it. But this is something Trump really said. But just oh my God, the, the things that Trump have, has been saying. When life hands you lemons, Joe Biden kills you with them. Up first, the Sunday story for Up First, and they talked to two media experts that were like, "Are we? Tr are is the media doing its job in covering Trump?" And there was a whole bunch of criticism in 2016 that the media gave Trump like two. I want to say they said trillion. Can that be possible? Maybe it was billion. It was a lot. A lot of dollars worth of free media coverage. And they were like, at the time, nobody thought he could win. And he was just kind of entertaining and like, oh my gosh, listen to this crazy stuff this guy said. And and then the media got a lot of criticism, I would say rightly, for having given him all that free publicity that helped boost his like credibility and status yeah. and visibility. And so now a lot of the media seems kind of afraid to cover him, um, maybe because of that criticism or maybe just because it's really hard to cover somebody who says the things that he says. But um, these these media experts were really criticizing the current media coverage. because They were like, look, everybody keeps post like kind of pitting this as like this establishment Republican candidate against this establishment Democrat candidate. And they're like, that is not what's at stake in this election. Like, what is at stake? Like, Trump is actively calling for, he's calling his political opponents vermin, which is the language that is used to dehumanize people in, like, literally textbook language about genocides. And he's calling for people to be executed, like, just horrifying things that he's saying and they're like the media needs to be covering that because there are on the fence moderates who aren't going out and seeking what he's saying on truth social like you know that they're just gonna kind of be listening to the the whatever breaks through the noise and they what what was it that there was as much coverage there was more coverage about the fact that joe biden's dog bit a like security person then there was that trump said he wanted to be a dictator yeah. and like like and he said yeah like i'll i'll institute myself as president king for life it's it's yeah it's what do you do with that problem where you don't want to give him oxygen but you exactly you need i mean and he's to draw not, attention to these negatives he's and the leading republican candidate by like 40 points so so many yeah you, you're not you're not making him relevant again by talking about what he's actually saying. So I think we need to make it clear what is actually at stake in. Yeah. Because this is not a debate between are you voting for a Democrat or a Republican? This is a debate between like, do you believe in democracy or not? Well, let's talk about Mr. Beast. No. <laughs> What's your research <laughs> thing, Catherine? <laughs> um. Okay, so my train wreck trilogy, um, I have now delivered. I did it last this this week that we're recording. Um, my paper, Mr. Strandhole at the Digital Intimacies Conference, and it was great. I, it's a great conference. I love going to conferences that are good. As I told you, it had several robot dogs. It had babies playing with the robot dogs. It was a great conference. I love a conference energy where there can be just babies crawling around on the floor and no one cares right um it's a very warm friendly conference and had good food 
And I had not seen these robot dogs. These are very advanced robot dogs, by the way. Like they use generative AI. They are trained to recognize shoes. So once they've seen your shoes, they like know who you are by your shoes. Anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about. We're already off the rails. Um, as you know, in preparing for that paper, Mr. Beast Giant Hole, um, I presented my research here at the Crash at Crush. And then I tried to find the origin of the phrase like a train wreck and told you about the Hammond Circus train last episode. But now I've learned a little bit more and I want to give you my final part of my train wreck trilogy, which is all about the legacy of Crash at Crush, which is that there was a train crash for entertainment craze of the late 1800s, early 1900s. So between 1890 and about 1932, we know that the crash of crush happened in 1896, which is arguably one of the first promotional train crashes. And you can go back and listen to that episode if you don't know what I'm talking about. But that was so successful that it generated decades worth of entertainment train crashes. The legacy of which I will say they finally ended in the 1930s in part because of the Great Depression, but in part because of the automobile. And so this is the legacy of one of your favorite things, Michelle, the Demolition Derby. So we can thank this history for Demolition Derbies. Um, I mean, and it fact, does seem a lot better to just drive some cars into each other than yeah. trains. <laughs> yeah, a little easier, a little safer. So um, while William Crush was the person who did Crash at Crush, the true popularizer, and I would say star, of this craze of the promotional train crash was Joe Connolly, who earned the nickname Head On Joe. So let me tell you about Joe Connolly. He was born in 1859 in Iowa City. By 1880, on a census from 1880, he was living with his parents on their farm outside of Nevada Township. And he listed his occupation as railroading, um, not unlike Ken's occupation of beach. He did not work on a railroad or for a railroad. He just put railroading um, as it was an interest of his. By 1890, he was co-manager of the Des Moines Opera House. So we have already brewing a love of theatrics and a love of trains. So of so course, it's only a those, matter of time. Only a matter of time. Um, Head on Joe staged over 75 train crashes across the country of the United States over 35 years, an illustrious career. Um, and basically his spectacles over those 35 years became larger and larger. He eventually added dynamite and he strapped the dynamite to the front of the train and filled the freight cars behind the engines with gasoline and hot coal so the trains would be engulfed in flames once they derailed. Gigantic bombs! Yes. Flung them at each other. As if it wasn't dangerous or spectacular enough to crash trains, he put dynamite on them and made them full of fire and hot coals and gasoline. Um, a very popular thing for him to do would be to paint names on the side of trains. So maybe sports teams or political rivals. Um, he had a very famous one, which you can find on YouTube. You can watch this crash on YouTube is Hoover and Roosevelt 
painted on the trains and they explode so that people could cheer for whichever one they wanted. Um, he, he to be clear, both these trains are going to explode. There's no winner, yes. right? Okay, there's no winner. Yeah, <laughs> I, which explodes bigger? I don't know. <laughs> um, Head on Joe even tried to copyright the trade, the word train wreck. Um, and so yeah, for most of his life, he was a professional train wreck organizer and promoter. That was his job. And I found this great quote from him saying, I believed that somewhere in the makeup of every normal person, there lurks the suppressed desire to smash things up. So I was convinced that thousands of others would be just as curious as I was to see what actually would take place when two speeding locomotives came together. I can't say he's wrong. He's I, I cannot say that he is wrong. No. So um, now I'm going to get in close so basically, that's most of my research um, is that just learning that there was like about a 30, 40 year, very popular um, history of promotional train wrecks. Head on Joe got his start at the Iowa State Fair. The Iowa State Fair um, needed a, just basically was lacking on funds. And so they needed something big to get crowds in and that was joe conley's first organized train crash he said hey people want to see a train crash um and that was in 1896 he was inspired by the crash at crush so i found quite a few since he did this for so long i found some newspapers that were announcing the train crashes or reporting on the train crashes because i found it amusing and good research so in 1898, the Des Moines leader, July 10th, says the railway wreck, it will probably be pulled off as a chief attraction of the state fair. It is as good as settled that a real live railroad collision will be pulled off as a leading attraction of the state fair. For some time, the management has been considering it. A wreck that was given in an Ohio town a short time ago was a great success and the fair management is of the opinion that nothing in the line of pumpkins and threshing machines would compare with a wreck as an attraction. J.S. Connolly, who sprang into fame as the manager of Pedruski on his recent appearance in Des Moines, is to be the manager of the affair. So pumpkins and threshing machines, sorry, old threshers. Can't hold a candle. Compete to a train crash. Um, Here's one that says, this is from 1907, September 22nd, extra, extra, a big wreck. Engines crash, head on at driving park. No one is killed. Planned by man who boldly boasts of 26 similar affairs caused by him. Visitors of the Great Fort Worth Fair, Sunday, October 13th, will see the most highly sensational event ever witnessed in this city. Two great engines with smoke pouring from their stacks and with whistles screaming, a challenge of battle to the deaths will meet in the middle of the infield. The man who will manage this unusual spectacle is J.S. Connolly of Des Moines. He's known throughout the West as the Wrecker. So that's another one. Um, October 10th, 1907. Again, much interest in the big collision. Wrecker Connolly has escaped 26 similar events without energy, without injury. Feels safe now. From comments heard at the fairgrounds and on the street, on streetcars and in the hotel lobbies everywhere, in fact, the people most do congregate 
yeah, people most do congregate, it would appear that people are looking forward to the big railroad collision to be pulled off next Sunday with an unusual amount of interest. Um, there's an ad in the telegram, again from 1907, that said, this exhibition is as fierce as a bullfight, as awful to contemplate as a mortal combat of Roman gladiators, and yet there is no cruelty, no pain, no brutality. On the other hand, it is strictly moral, interesting, and instructive. And after all is over, it leaves only recollections of an exciting and happy day. So this is a violent oh, happy spectacle day. with no moral uh, consequence. So um, I want to end this. So that's just, that's the train wreck trilogy. But while I was looking at these newspapers announcing the train wrecks at state fairs, I found a little, little line that captured my attention. I'm not going to come back and report on it. This can be research for someone else to do. I found out just enough to know that it was real because for a second I'm like, that's not real. Um, when I was reading about the train crash, they said another um, event at this state fair was the destruction of San Francisco. And I'm like, what is, what is that? It, I cannot find much about it to understand like what form it took, how it was displayed, but it was a simulated earthquake from the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, which was a very destructive earthquake. And um, basically all I could find in the paper was Campbell, and I don't quite know who Campbell is, Campbell's earthquake, fire and fireworks spectacle, the destruction of San Francisco, which will be the evening attraction at the state fair every night commencing Saturday is the only spectacle of its kind which has for its subject a modern event um so you did it every night so it has to be something that can be like put to be back repeatable. together yeah yeah and so I was like I saw that in an in a newspaper clipping and I'm just like was well, that real so I kept looking kept looking and the only other thing I could find was a trade exhibition a trade publication called the show world 20th century amusement weekly it's from july 27th 1907 it's a full pdf of this very interesting trade publication i'll link in the show notes um its byline is devoted exclusively to the profession of entertainment and so one of the articles within it said the destruction of san francisco is a very lifelike reproduction of that memorable catastrophe with the rumbling of the earthquake, the falling of buildings, the ascending flames and the upheaval of the sea. Manager Bullock is deserving of the success with which his efforts are meeting. So it was impressive, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I like this idea that people look at maybe Mr. Beast wrecking trains or VR or the sense of immersion that we want today. And we think, oh, it's all downhill. We are, we're just a morally bankrupt society because of the internet or technology. But no, we've, we've always wanted spectacle. I won't say always, but like spectacle and disaster and recreation of these things. Um, fascinate us. Yeah, there's a long history. Fascinate us. It was only a year after the, cent that's, the earthquake was 1906 and this was happening in 1907. So 
that that is uh the end of my train wreck trilogy that is yeah just i'm imagining like what do you do for a living i orchestrate train wrecks special just... train wreck organizer you know michelle if you were a vampire you would have time to learn how to do that if you wanted <laughs> oh. we could start a demolition derby and it wouldn't what? be a waste of time we could do that now though anything that you could do as a vampire you can do now should start yeah maybe that should maybe be. that's what real life really is is what would you do if you had the time of a vampire go and do it now yeah it's not what human. would you do if you were if you were dying tomorrow no if this was your last day on earth what if you, you had endless time as a vampire with at least some of your friends and family around what would you do go do it demolition derby all right expert earthquake simulator i'm gonna pull up an image for you as the start of my research thing my research thing is very short i'm sorry but i thought it would lead to more it probably could have but i hit a cliff and i was like am i gonna dive off this cliff and i said no so um (laughs) i am showing catherine a uh, picture of common sleeping postures created with a little, like, it looks like one of those dolls that you use to pose for, um, like, if you are yeah, dra- doing artist, drawing class, like an wooden, artist doll. Yeah. yeah artist um, and the common sleeping postures are, and I will say that this is from, like, a physiomed, like, I think they sell stuff. So this is, I mean, you know, it it is a report that has some scientific backing in it, but I think it's primarily designed to help you like buy sleep aids to help you sleep in good postures. So I don't know how accurate these percentages are. It's not the main point of my research anyway. I just wanted a good way to get into it. So according to this little thing, um, the common sleeping postures are 41% is the leader That's the fetus position where you're curled up on your side, you know, knees tucked, hands kind of in a praying position. The log, which is where you've got like straight pointed toes, hands down on your side. Um, The yearner, which is where you're laying on your side and reaching forward. The soldier, which is where you're laying flat on your back, hands beside you. The free faller, which is where you are laying on your stomach, hands up kind of above your head. And the starfish, which is where you're laying on your back. And they have your legs together. But I think the true starfish is where you're, like, splayed out across the whole bed, right? You're starfish. Absolutely. Right. So which of these is your most common sleeping position, Catherine? My most common sleeping position is the fetus. Mine too. I say, where I'm curled up. I do the yearner sometimes where I stretch out. But, um that this the fact that the fetus of 41% is so common and and all i hear all day long is if you're a side sleeper you're going to die an early death and mm-hmm. you'll catch on fire surely that has to be because marketers know that everyone sleeps yep. and yep. they can i think shit, that's right? exactly right okay. yeah okay because speaking of morals again i just keep hearing yeah that like that's actually well, part of my research. Back is the way to go. Yep. It's the way to go. And I can't do it. And I don't understand. So I do. You're, so you're a fetus. I am primarily uh, a fetus sleeper. That I also, um, I do kind of a variation of the soldier, but where I pull one foot up and my, my legs kind of shaped like a, the number four, like where like I kind of have one, one foot up at my knee. Ooh, and What's that? What's the fairy tale with the, the tin soldier and the ballerina? They could be like different. That's the ballerina yeah. for versus the, the soldier. soldier. 
Yeah. Um, I do find myself in the free faller position, but that's normally when I'm like waking up in the middle of the night. So I have a feeling that that position is not very good for me, but I end up in it when I'm like uncomfortable and I've been tossing and turning, which is that's the face down one. Um, this, this little document. It's just really entertaining to me. I'm just going to show you some bits of it. So it is it is like giving you tips on how to sleep better. And it, it repeatedly says things like, be sensible. If something hurts, stop doing it. Which I, just, I mean, yeah, that's that's good advice. Cool. Um, okay, thank you. But it also like has this thing about what kind of pillow should you use? And where does it say? Some people report great improvements in neck symptoms using this type of pillow, whilst others find them no different or even worse. The best advice is to try a pillow for a week and then decide for yourself. Thanks. Just That's so helpful. Buying four hundred dollar <laughs> pillows. Yeah. Buy an endless amount of pillows and see which one helps you. Oh, you're still in pain. You know what you must need? A different pillow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So all of this came about. Because I, so I have much like you, I hear all the terrible like side sleepers are destroying themselves. And there is some of that in this language, but actually I, I think they're just wanting to hit everybody. So they talk about the negative consequences of every sleeping oh, wow. position. Everything, so, yes. everything. I mean, it's almost as if having a human body brings you closer to death every day. Unless you so, join my vampire collective, then you sleep in a coffin. So they just have this like diagram again of the little, you know, wooden guy, um, like what points are going to have pressure points if you're laying supine, if you're laying on your back, then your head, your scapula, your elbows, your sacrum and your heels are going to be in pain from the pressure points. If you're laying on your side, I don't know what this is, ac acromion? Is that, are those yeah. your fingers? Is that your wrist? What is that? It will hurt your ear. It will hurt your ribs. It will hurt your hips, your knees, your ankles. And if you lay Head on your front, <laughs> I love how they say the pressure is going to be on your forehead or ear. If you put your head to one side, are there people who just sleep with their forehead? Straight, like, <laughs> <laughs> does, somebody, does somebody sleep like that? If you sleep like that, I need to know. I need you to like call in or write us. I need to know if you just sleep straight face down forehead to the pillow <laughs> like, that's wild <laughs> i like hear how it says that the pressure points are going to be on your breast women's your genitals women's it's then, <laughs> then don't get like what okay like, i don't it's not it's not making a lot of sense Anyway, so what I got from this document is no matter where you sleep, you'll be in pain. And if you sleep like me, where you switch positions all through the night, I guess you get to have pain everywhere. Um, the reason that I started researching this was indeed because I woke up with pain that frustrated me because I'm at the age where sometimes sleeping makes me wake up feeling worse than I did I when I went to bed. Something on uh, uh, yeah Instagram the other day that was like, a fun thing about getting older is you hear from your skeleton a lot more. You do. Your, your skeleton has a lot more to tell you about all the things you were doing wrong. Yep. 
And um, in particular, I had like messed my shoulder up because I had slept on my arm wrong. And like arms are the arms are the frustrating part of sleeping, right? And I was like, well, what do you they are. what are you supposed to do with your arms while you're sleeping? And so I thought I was like, well, I have fantasized about cutting a hole in my bed so many times. I, have you seen the one that's just like a um like a crevice that you just shove your arms down in so you can sleep on your stomach, but like you like it's a whole special bed that has like a moat for you to stick your arms down inside and I'm like I would just fall in that like I would just I'm pretty sure I would die like yeah I'm just it seems like a thing I would smother in um so but I the thing I wanted to research that just didn't really come together and I wasn't willing to invest any more time in it I'm sorry angry mint listeners I have to grade like 96 papers this week so I'm doing my very best for you um i was like well how do other primates sleep right like primates have arms what what are That's they doing with them question. Yeah. and so uh i've i read two articles one from smithsonian magazine and one from the guardian um both of them were about how we can learn more about sleep for humans by looking at primates particularly apes Apes are really good at making comfy beds. So we, um, I learned from this article from the Smithsonian that we believe that our use of beds, of platforms, comes from a shared ancestor between humans and apes that probably dates back to 14 to 18 million years ago, that sleeping on platforms allowed us to be more secure um, because we could be away from predators and insects. And so like sleeping in beds probably came from a pre-human ancestor. Um, and that apes are a lot better at sleeping than monkeys. So monkeys um, don't do a good job of sleeping oh. well. Uh, here's, a, here's a quote. From Matt Walker for BBC Earth, these huge great apes like to get into bed and nestle down for a long and deep night's sleep, their eyes occasionally dancing behind their eyelids, perhaps dreaming a fleeting orangutan's dream. Watching a baboon sleep is more like watching a small, bitter, paranoid person desperately trying to get some shut-eye. They sleep badly, sitting upright, balancing on their bottoms, minds worrying, constantly fearful that something or someone is after them. Um, so you want to sleep like an orangutan, not like a bamboo? Boon. That's what I've learned. Um, chimpanzees are very selective about what nests they will use. So orangutans and baboons are our sleep leaders if we want to use them to research how to sleep. But nobody gave me much help on like what exactly that means. I mean, they were just well, like, I yeah. think we need a podcast field trip to a zoo then. <laughs> right? So yes. we'll I go, did. We'll be the Jane Goodalls for sleep research. I did find out um, that a Japanese man named Kochiro Zama slept in a treetop in the East African forests in a bed constructed by chimpanzees. And he was so impressed with the sleep that he got there that he decided he was going to recreate that in a bed that could be for humans. And so he said um, it's a humankind evolution bed that was on display as part of an exhibition on sleep at the uh, at a museum. And the mattress had a depression in the center to replicate a natural dip in like a treetop bed like chimpanzees make. And the, the 
frame is supported on woven paper string so that you have maximum breathability. He was particularly interested in how cool it was despite being in a hot jungle. So he was really interested in the temperature control versions, like the potentials of Everything it. Everything that tries to sell me stuff yeah. is cooling, cooling, cooling. Um, it is pretty small, but he says that chimpanzees just like fling a leg or an arm outside of the nest part and they're still pretty comfortable because of the way that the like center of it so maybe that's the answer to my arm problem is that I need better support around um and I will I will get bring you back to the document that I had up because I want to show you some of the pillow suggestions they have and I'm just trying to imagine yeah. what my bed would look like if I did this <laughs> with pillows but I will also show you that they they did create this bed based on the chimpanzee bed um, it's called a sea couch, but as far as I can tell, it's not actually for sale. It looks like it was just created to be in this um, museum exhibit. So here is the sea couch inspired by real chimpanzee beds. It has it eight rock? curved legs to rock in nearly all directions. And it's woven. It's oval shaped. This is what it looks like when you sleep in it. Look at that. that and it's the fetus position. It is naturally. the fetus position. But look, but look, the arms are like slightly elevated because there's like the dip yeah. in the middle. So like it's not the same, like you wouldn't have the pressure on the arms in the same way. And then I'm going to take you back to this one and just show you some of the suggested ways that you could sleep. No. Solve what? your problem. No. No. <laughs> Does she look happy or comfortable? No. Do you, want to, do you want to tell the people what we're seeing, Catherine? I am seeing a very unhappy looking woman staring off into space, into the middle distance on a yoga mat <laughs> with a pillow under her head, one arm out in kind of a cactus shape going up and another arm going down. And with each pillows under pillow each under it yes yeah, so she has three pillows and she a looks tetris trapped configuration. A, yeah, she looks like a trap she, she can't you can't move it's <laughs> how about this one she looks so trapped and so unhappy in this one there's even more pillows she's on her side she's clutching a pillow between her knees she has a pillow under her arm there's like a special square pillow that she's holding on to for dear life this is too much i would rather hurt i would rather hurt yeah. <laughs> so you imagine every night getting into bed with like all this? right right and then getting them into just the right position and then having to hold it <laughs> like okay i gotta keep it in the yeah no yeah. um so that i mean my research thing didn't really come to fruition other than that the chimpanzees and the baboons have figured it out and we have not uh but sleep and the position that you should do it in seems to be hotly debated and you hurt no matter what i also just to be fair that like what the pod whatever that is called does look very comfy that looks very comfortable and i'm not going to dispute that but how much of having like a good night's sleep is that you've trekked out to the middle of the jungle and you're like in the open air and you're hearing the noises and there isn't a television for miles so i um i wear a fitbit that tracks my sleep stats and it like it's pretty good at i think like i feel 
like it pretty accurately captures like one time I was in the middle of a dream and something woke me up and it accurately caught like oh this was REM sleep oh you were suddenly awake here's the spike like I, I don't know I feel like it is accurately reading my my sleep patterns and the best sleep that I have gotten in the last three years was when I accidentally went camping with no coat on a night that it dropped into the 30s in the spring and so I am curled up in a sleeping bag like freezing and I slept the, I got the best sleep that I've gotten in three years of sleep data and it was just there like on the ground in a in a sleeping bag <laughs> in the freezing yeah. cold <laughs> I think you just need to take a sleeping bag outside every night then that I mean clearly is the answer yeah wow. so there that's my research that's good research. Thanks. We can let everyone else follow up and 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 to be TBD of us going to zoos and watching apes sleep. This is we're just trying to make sure we can get our grant funding for our amazing program we're setting up here. Exactly. Like I tell all my students, you can't start your research with all the answers. It's fine. It's fine. Right. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Okay. We should recap. Wow. We do need to recap because we wandered a bit. Okay. My weird thing was weird Christmas music. My weird thing was that if you read a graphic novel on uh, Kindle, they got a cool little feature for that. My pop culture thing was Tarsum Singh's oeuvre, but specifically the movie The Fall. My pop culture thing was the trope of the lonely survivalist in apocalyptic films. And my research thing was the end of my train wreck trilogy with head on Joe Connolly. And if anyone wants to follow up and do their re own research on the uh, recreation of the San Francisco earthquake of 1906, go for it. And my research thing was sleep. Everything hurts. Make my skeleton be quiet. <laughs> okay. Wow, that was so concise compared to <laughs> Um, I mean, I, of course, would like the fortune cookie for no good reason to say join my vampire collective, but I don't know how we get that justified um we opened up with something where i was like oh the fortune cookie should say that and now i completely forgot what it was and when i re-listened to this episode i'm like mm, i missed it um like before we even started doing our oh oh it was your podcast stand. <laughs> podcast town see your podcast podcast here in podcast town <laughs> We are a vampire collective. Was that it? No, I'm confusing like early aughts bands of Vampire Weekend and Animal Collective. I'm like, why does Vampire Collective sound like such an early aughts band name? But that's why. Okay, so right. we have um, we have like fantasy films and storytelling and cultural appropriation and oeuvre and sleep and skeletons and pain and train wrecks and um christmas music and um maybe 
it's something about finding the thing that works for you and how there's something like there's something out there for everyone um but only if you're willing to like gather all the people to you unlike the survivalists like i don't know because we when we were talking about the the media consumption right and we were like oh you could be snotty about like oh not ebooks or not that but like you gotta be willing to try these different things and try them out and see what uh. works and doesn't and all the sleep the sleep positions are basically like do what doesn't hurt don't do what does and like it's not it's universal all, all bad for you yeah, yeah. um um and yeah the, I like this idea the, of like the train wreck was all like violence without the pain you know like this uh so so something about pain points and avoiding pain points or or everything hurts so find what works for you find, find what hurts everything the least. hurts <laughs> find what hurts the least gather your people everything hurts so gather your people and find what hurts the latest. <laughs> Merry Christmas! That sure does sound like the start of a vampire cult. <laughs> gather your people and find what hurts the least. <laughs> I mean, I think you helped me find my vampire collective catchphrase. Everything hurts. Got your attention? Yeah, everything hurts. So, so gather your people and find what hurts the least. Can that be it? Yes. Everything hurts. Yeah, it should be so it. Gather your Everything people. hurts, so gather your people and find what hurts the least. I want to hear you say it. Everything hurts, so gather your people and find what hurts the least. Yep. I think that's also a, a, a good one for you to carry into the next three weeks of, 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 of holiday. It really is terror you're about it, to have. it really is yes yes gather your people and find what hurts the least because everything hurts happy holidays and happy holidays. a wonderful new year a least painful new year to you yep done may the train wreck have no fatalities Saddest time of year Relatives with her horrible gifts So many things you fear Christmas tears Year after year Credit card bills Sudden chills Enough to make you ill Look at that! The Pattersons are putting up blue lights on their house again Again. Can't they ever get color ones or something? It's so depressing. And that 50-foot blow-up manger with Santa and those candy canes right in front of it? Ugh. Whose car is that? Ugh. Not Grandpa. Who invited him? Now we'll have to go to church tonight. Ugh. I hope it's not a folk mass. Oh, great. It's snowing. Jeez, I am sick of all this white crap already. Please, can't one of you...